Hello everyone, the Motos and Friends podcast from Ultimate Motorcycling is brought to you by the new Suzuki Hayabusa. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, the new Hayabusa stays true to its iconic design, with its straighter, sharper lines making it the most aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Take a look at the Ultimate Sport Bike at suzukicycles.com, or of course you can swoop into your nearest dealer and check it out in person you will be absolutely astonished. This week, Don Williams takes us for a ride on the all-new Indian FTR-R Carbon. Of course, the new iteration of Indian has brought us some excellent cruisers and great touring machines. The company is clearly very serious. Yet, interestingly, it seems that Indian clearly wants to branch out a lot. The new 1200cc V-Twin FTR shows the world just how seriously the company is getting with the sport side of its business. And indeed, the FTR was the machine ridden to championship victory by lady racer Patricia Fernandez. Riding her Saddleman-sponsored FTR to win last year's Super Hooligan class of the Bagger Racing League, Patricia proved that the FTR can consistently make it to the top step of the podium. That's impressive. The second part of this week's podcast is the third and final part of George Parkhaber's travelogue. We've already heard how he travelled down to the end of the South American continent and back, and now he recounts his recent trip to the Far East, to Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia. This time, he didn't ride his BMW 1200GS. I hope you enjoy this episode. Are you ready for this? The all-new 2022 Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle is here. Widely regarded as the ultimate sport bike, the third-generation Hayabusa by Suzuki melds two generations of refinement, resulting in the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa yet. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, the new Hayabusa gives riders electronic rider aids like the quick shifter and cruise control systems that simultaneously increase performance and comfort. With even stronger acceleration, the Hayabusa's 1340cc inline four-cylinder engine and updated driveline deliver unmatched sport bike performance. And, staying true to its iconic design, the new Hayabusa's straighter and sharper lines make it the most aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Plus, it comes in three new head-turning color combinations and offers a full suite of available Suzuki genuine accessories you can choose from. These revolutionary superbikes are flying off the showroom floor, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more the ultimate ride awaits yeah i i've gotten a ride on the 2022 indian ftr r carbon and indian completely rethought the ftr this year which in my opinion is a good idea the original ftrs had stylish 18 and 19 inch wheels which looks cool if you want that retro look but it limits the performance of the bike with the bigger wheels and also limits the choices of tires. Sure. So, so while it looked cool, it didn't work as good as it could work. And it has this great uh, V-twin, 1200cc V-twin motor. And it was kind of a, a shame that they hobbled it with a stylish chassis rather than 
one that actually worked worked great. Worked good, but not great. So this year they completely redid it in in the in the wheel and suspension department. Uh, they shortened the suspension and they put 17-inch wheels on it. And that means, of course, that you can put any rubber you like. And with right. a shorter suspension, you have a lower center of gravity and the smaller wheels. So the whole bike drops way down. So they've got away from the flat tracker, scrambler kind of concept and went for just straight sport, upright, naked sport bike. And that's exactly what it is. You have cool. to when you get on this, you kind of have to forget your preconceptions of what an Indian might be or an Indian FTR might be. Because now, instead of it being, like I said, kind of a stylish scrambler, flat tracker kind of exercise in motorcycling, it's now just a straight on sport bike. You sit on it and it, it has very natural, neutral ergonomics. You're sitting upright. Uh, the bars, uh, handlebar is one thing that I actually particularly like about it in that a lot of the European upright naked bikes have a really wide handlebar, but kind of excessively wide, like an Aprilia, Ducatis, they, they really like the wide bar. Yeah, Ducati Monsters, it's like riding a wheelbarrow half the time. Right, for whatever reason, the Europeans love that. Well, the Americans like it narrower and the handlebar is narrow and not ultra narrow like clip-ons or anything, but definitely a more natural feel. You don't get on and go, oh, well, these are really wide or, oh, these are kind of narrow. You go like, well, these are where the, pe the, the grips are exactly where I'd like them to be. Yeah, about shoulder width is what I like. Yeah, well, you would, you would find this to be perfectly to your taste. Okay, good. So uh, just to give you an idea, the FTRR Carbon is the top of the Indian FTR line. They have a standard FTR, FTRS, and then they have an FTR are carbon and so uh, i i was riding the uh top of the line one which is a seventeen thousand dollar bike not not outrageously expensive but certainly not as inexpensive as say the standard one which is thirteen hundred dollars and i want to kind of just run over what you get uh with the ftrr compared to the uh uh standard one you sure. get a acropovic exhaust which is cool. Titanium nice. ones painted black. Nice. Uh, these are the big ones that you get. You get only in suspension, front and back, single shock rear. Wow. But not a linkage. It's just cantilevered and, uh, uh, you know, inverted fork and uh, fully adjustable, of course. Uh, you get all sorts of little carbon goodies, which is great. Uh, you know, they don't really make the bike a little lighter but that's not really it's not a lightweight bike it's it's over 500 pounds and it hits the scales at 530 pounds so it's not you know it's not a, a super lightweight bike but uh it's not super heavy either so right. sure uh you know uh, so you get the, those are the main features you get yeah you get the things you don't care about unless you're you know showing off your friends the premium seat cover the numbered bags and uh, <laughs> okay. it's a few of the upgrades that the S gets from the standard version, which most most importantly is the uh, uh, touchscreen. You have a 4.3 inch TFT touchscreen, which is pretty cool, full color. Okay. And you get three free uh, ride modes with the cornering ABS and traction control, stability control, 
rear wheel lift mitigation. But boy, you got to really be on the brakes, I think, if you're going to do a nose wheelie on this, on this bike. <laughs> and uh, so you get those features from the S. Again, the big upgrade is the Olean suspension, really. Mm. You know, the rest of it are, are kind of cool things. You know, having the, the titanium exhaust black, that's great. Carbon fiber looks cool, no doubt about it. And if you're going to have a cool bike, you want to have it look cool. And so this bike looks cool. Awesome. But the thing I can tell you about the bike is that it's really fun to ride. It just has an incredibly natural, neutral feel. Uh, I won't say that. I won't say it's neutral. Let me say it has a very stable feel. And people have thrown around for many years the gentleman's sport bike. Okay. And we've, when we've said that, we've thought, okay, you know, and that could even be something like a Honda CB1000R. You know, it's like it's civilized. This bike is very gentlemanly. It doesn't, it's not fidgety. It's not bouncing around. When you go into corners, if it's a fast corner, you're going to love it. It's just so stable, feels so good, so natural that you're this exactly what you want it to be. Yeah, you know, the Metzler Sport Tech tires are great. The only suspension is great. The 530 pounds or so is also really nice. It gives you you that sense of solid feel of the road uh, a sport a, the lighter you go the more agile the motorcycle if it's on really tight uh roads like if people are familiar with decker canyon in, <laughs> in california and malibu it's it's not as good on that it, it you know you have to put a lot more effort into making those corners and and dealing with that but if you get on the faster roads in the mountains as i did it just feels good. You know, you're sitting just upright. The ergonomics are great. The 1200cc motor is, is torquey. It will still rev up. And you just feel good riding this motorcycle. And awesome. Uh, when you, it's not tall like a sport bike, but it still has, again, a, a reasonable amount of cornering clearance. You have to really be putting in the effort to use up the cornering clearance on it. Yeah, if you if you want a, a, a track day bike, this is not your bike. If you want a regular bike that you're gonna run normal lean, lean angles on public roads where you don't know what the condition of the road is, you don't know if there's gonna be gravel around the corner, you don't know if there's gonna be a motorhome there, where you're riding in a, a sane, safe and sane way, like the fireworks, <laughs> you're, you're, you, you can go good, you can have a lot of fun, you can go fast, but you're not going to be going in that kind of breakneck attitude. The engine doesn't spin up that fast. Uh, it has the three power modes. It has the, uh, you know, the sport, the normal, and then the the rain. And really, the the normal one is the one you want to use when you're riding. Uh, the sport mode, it just it gives more of a crack to the throttle. And if, you, if you're riding around town a little bit, you might, you might kind of like that because you just hit that throttle, boom. <laughs> it, it, it flies in a straight line down the road. Or uh, when I was on, whenever I was on the freeway, I'd pop it into that because then when I needed to get out of the way of somebody or I wanted to pass somebody or I wanted to get on the gas, it had a much more, not quite abrupt, but, but much more responsive throttle. But it, presumably but, it's the same power. So between yeah between normal and sport, it's it's the same power amount of power. It's just the way it's just delivered more aggressively in sport mode. Right. Okay. In in the in the standard mode, you get on it, 
and you can feel that it's being held back a bit. Okay. You know, it's not, it's not like a rain mode at all, but you can tell that they've made it so it's not like, <laughs> it's like, you know, and so you get that, but it makes it really easy. Again, if you're a gentleman sport bike, you're not racing through the canyons, but you're going at a adult clip, you know, you're going at a much faster clip than any guy on a, on a cruiser is going to be going. And so when you get on that, the throttle, it's just smooth. And so the bike doesn't get disrupted. The suspension doesn't get disrupted. Nice. If you hit a bump and your your hand moves on the throttle unexpectedly, things don't, you know, go out of control. The bike is just super forgiving. That's that's kind of a concept I think that a lot of people don't appreciate on motorcycles is how forgiving is the bike. Right. People get wrapped up in how much performance does it have, and it's like, well, it has, you know, something like a KTM twelve ninety Super Duke R. Well, yeah, it's got performance, but it's not as forgiving, you know, it's, uh, it's going to do what you tell it to do. And if you tell it the wrong thing, then you're going to get what you asked for <laughs> on this if right. you make a mistake. It's like, Oh, I know I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. <laughs> We're going to just ride like this. And I know when I say this to people, you go, Oh, it's going to be slow and boring. It's not slow. And it's, it's, uh, I guess you could say it's boring because it doesn't, it doesn't surprise you in negative ways. It's like you always know what the bike is going to do, how it's going to go through a corner. If you are going to have to wrestle it a bit through the corner to get in the tight ones, but boy, when that when the road opens up, it's just it's just great. It's just like magic because the bike is planted, it's going fast. You get only suspension. You have a great sit, seating position. Everything about it is just awesome, and uh, it's so much better than the the old version, which was you know, more of like an around town bike. And when you get out the, you know, it's kind of before and it ended up being kind of tall. It, the tires were kind of weird. The whole feeling about it was, was like, well, they, they made it look cool. Whereas this is like, oh, this is what they should have done in the first place. Okay. And, and if you like the old look, they still have a variation of it that, that has that, uh, there is one variant that has the, the old, uh, the, the the larger wheels and it's kind of the scramblery version yeah the old version had dunlop dtr 3r or excuse me dunlop dt 3r dirt track tires so they were kind of like not knobbies but kind of you know that's that block pattern right and they look cool oh wow look how cool those yeah. are oh, your bike a little bit cool. a little bit of a sort of a but mad it, max look maybe to it right whereas this has you know the metzler sport tech and so right. it's they're like street tires and so they work way better so everything in a functional manner is the new ftr is superior to the old ftr and i just i just can't say enough about how much fun it is how forgiving it is and how exciting it is to ride because you can go you can go good uh you know you, you rely a little bit more on i don't say momentum but you you know you don't want to be jerky you don't want to go into the corner jam it brakes on as hard as you can turn the bike as hard as you can and then gas straight line you know you want to be a smoother rider so that's again that's that gentlemanly gentlemanly uh uh sport bike kind of aspect to it sure but that's that's okay sure. you know to me i mean i'm not 20 but even when i was 20 i would have preferred this bike that's just my personality i think that that's really a function more of of personality than age sure and uh even Kelly, who's, you know, our 115 pound uh, 
test rider. She took it uh, out for a ride and she just talked about how planted the bike felt and how nice it was to not have a bike that was, you know, disrupted so easily, like on the freeway when you have the, the suspension. You know, she's always got a problem with suspension because she's too light for any bike. No bike's set up for a 115 pound rider. And so, you know, she can get bounced around on the freeway. On this bike, she said the bike always felt good. And part of it's got, a, you know, a 60 inch wheelbase. And so it's, it's a stretch bike, but they also cut the rake down to 25 degrees. And that's pretty steep. So the bike, you know, does turn. It's not like it's this cruisery thing. It's definitely like a sport bike, but it's, it's stretched out a bit so that you feel comfortable. You know, you, you have that good feeling of a, of a solid, uh, you know, connection to the ground. And uh, the seat height, I didn't mention, but it's, it's 30.7 inches. And that's low for a sport bike. That's quite, that's pretty low, isn't it? Wow. So when I'm sitting on it, instead of being, I, you know, I don't want to say tiptoes, but maybe one foot down and one foot a little bit tiptoey, which I don't mind because I rate dirt bikes. So that, that's fine for me. This bike, I, you know, I can pretty much flat footed with boots on. So you just feel, you know, it's, just, it's a great around town bike where we stop, you just stop and you look cool on it. If people aren't going to look at it and go, well, if only that bike had 18 and 9 inch wheels, it would really look cool. <laughs> this bike looks cool wherever you go. And it's a different kind of cool. You know, it's, it's not as much of a retro dirt tracky cool. It's more of a like modern retro sport bike cool. It, and you, even the styling of it, it's got the red trellis frame, liquid cool B-twin. It, it has its own look that is a mixture of the old and the new. And it doesn't really fit into any kind of preconceived category. And that makes the bike unique and that makes the bike cool. Right. Now, if I had to uh, compare the Indian FTR R Carbon to anything, and what kind of came to my mind as I was riding around is the Ducati Diablo. Okay. It's a slightly bigger motor in the Diablo. The Diablo is like a bigger version of this. Uh, this motor, the Indian motor, puts out 120 horsepower. Ducati is what, 160? Right. So you're sitting there riding and you're thinking, gee, is 120 horsepower enough to like get me into huge trouble? Uh, you know, give me, let me go fast. It's like, yeah, 120 is enough. And especially when you have plenty of torque, you know, if it's 120 horsepower and you can only get it at 14,000 RPM, yeah, it's gonna feel like a little sluggish. This bike is, is, is super torquey. So it's not like you're not getting that good pull. It's got 87 foot pounds of torque. That's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. That's a lot for a bike of, yeah. of that weight, and it comes on at six thousand RPM, so you're not having to wring its neck. You just anywhere you are in the RPM range, if you hit, give it the throttle, you're up to six thousand RPM in a flash, and wow. then so you're getting that maximum pull. And so 120 horsepower at 7750, you know, you don't have to hold it on much longer to get that maximum horsepower. So the the motor is not sluggish or embarrassing or slow or it's it's got plenty of get up and go because of the you know the torque at the fairly low rpm range so yeah it, it won't hang with the ducati in a straight line at all it's the ducati diablo which is six thousand dollars more just for the standard diablo forget the the s whichever that goes for with the it's it's only in suspension right you know you so this is kind of like a regular guy's version of the diablo it's 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 like three inches shorter it's lower a little bit about the same i'd say to the ground but it has that same kind of solid 
uh, feel, good torque, uh, great handling, ex in this case, excellent suspension. Because at first I was thinking, ah, I got to get a Diablo and do a comparison. And then I'm looking at the price and I'm thinking in the, in the length of it, again, three inches of wheelbase, pretty big difference. But this is just like the junior version of Diablo, but kind of a more practical, less show-offy, like, well, look what I've got. I've got a Ducati, you know, version of it. And but you still got an Indian. It's not like people look at an Indian and that's not a premium brand. They look at that and go, oh, well, this guy's got his Indian FTR. Look how cool that is. Sure. And so you're not really giving up much. Whereas, and in some ways, I think if somebody sees you in a Ducati Diablo, they go, what is that? More than anything else, it's, even, as long as the Diablo's been a, around, it's still a bit of a cult bite. Sure. And this Indian with the, the trellis frame and, and only a suspension and, like I said, the liquid cooled engine, all, all it looks good and it 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 looks like an expen with all the carbon it looks like an expensive motorcycle without being outrageously expensive i mean it's 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 certainly much more affordable to more people than the diablo is sure what about the gearbox i mean the uh, the engine it sounds like obviously the engine is going to going to have lots of low down torque are you having to you know really shift through the gears a lot or or is it you know is it a bit slow and ponderous or is it pretty quick changing it's funny uh our associator uh freeman wood also rode the bike and uh he made one observation about the gearbox first of all there's a, a a nice flexible power band so you can shift off and if you like you want to keep it on the boil but you don't really need to <laughs> right. again it's that gentlemanly feel you're better off accessing the 87 foot pounds of torque at 6,000 rpm than doing anything else that's the way to ride the bike right the most efficiently and fast but if you want the 120 horsepower and rev a little bit higher you can shift it but he complained that it didn't have a quick shifter and uh he wrote it before i did and when i got on it he was right it was like yeah it needs a quick shifter <laughs> so like this bike is sporty enough that you're going around you just want to go T -t 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 -t, you know and, and we're all spoiled i think you're that way too oh without a doubt yeah <laughs> yeah at first i thought a quick shifter was kind of a dumb thing like, eh, what do I need that for? What do I need this for? It, you know, it's like I can shift. Uh, that's part of the game. I pull the clutch in. I move the little gears. But once you get used to it, you kind of miss it when it's not there, especially on any kind of sporting bike. And this bike is definitely in the sporting category. Uh, and actually, I did miss a couple gears. I had a couple of neutrals when I expected to not have neutrals. So obviously, I think if you own the bike, you know, you learn to make the little bit slightly more deliberate shift. And that may be that requirement of that may be why there's not a quick shifter because it's not like a little nudge of the the uh, shift lever. You know, you need a little bit more, and so that might be part of the the why you don't have a quick shifter on it. But it would be great if they would maybe tighten the gearbox up and give it a quick shifter. Maybe that's like the next step so that they'll get somebody to buy one. You know, buy a button replacement for this. And go, oh, now I got this other feature. I need to. Get rid of my crappy old bike, you get a brand new one. Right. Um, what about the brakes on it? I mean, uh, if it's, you know, 530 pounds, that's that's a fair amount of weight to bring down. Uh, does it use uh, any exotic brakes on it? or? Indian is glad you asked <laughs> because, of course, it has 320 millimeter front discs and Brembo calipers. Nice. Now, they're not like the top of the line Brembos, but if you need to, when it's time to slow down, the bike is more than happy to slow down. And, and as I mentioned, I think earlier, it has the cornering aware ABS. So it's got all those features that, oh, wow. you okay. know, in, in, 
improve, you know, I mean, that's not a problem for me. I, I try not to, I, I never test the cornering ABS. <laughs> no. That is not in my list of to do things. It, just like the rural lift mitigation, yeah. and I'll take their word for it. And I, I, again, I think that the number of nose wheelies on this bike is, are gonna be pretty small. Has wheelie control. Uh, it can get the front end pretty light if you want, you know, you, again, without much torque. I'll bet, yeah. Especially in the lower gears, yeah. Probably first and second, yeah. Yeah, it's got that aspect of it. And so it's it's just, it's a cool, and it, also Necropovic exhaust sounds good. Awesome. It's, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's not a race exhaust. It's, it's a EPA DOT legal exhaust. So it has, the, the engine sounds good. And, I, you know, I always talk about this with motorcycles and some people might think, oh, I don't care, but they're lying. <laughs> you feel cool on this motorcycle and it's important to feel cool on whatever bike you're on. Yeah. And I mean, just riding a motorcycle makes you cool. There's no, no matter what you're riding, you know, and I don't want to mention a, a specific bike that somebody might think, well, it's not cool, but they're, they're all cool. And so if you're out riding, you're cool. But this bike has a lot of charisma, you know, like I said, the carbon fiber, the, the dual mufflers, it, it, you know, the, those discs look big, they are big, you know, the 320 millimeter discs, right. Inverted fork, all that stuff looks, looks badass, And it, and it performs really smartly. You know, it doesn't, like I said, it's not the cutting edge of, oh, wow, you know, I'm doing this, I'm racing. No, but you know, if you know what you're doing and you're a competent, especially a, you know, a highly competent rider, you can go pretty fast on this bike because of the, the, the security and knowing that if I make a slight mistake, that's okay. It's not gonna spit me off or it's not gonna wobble or it's not gonna make me lose confidence in it. It's gonna say, ah, we, I've got this. And, right. and again, it's so funny how over the years, you know, 120 horsepower would be like unbelievable amount. That would be like a MotoGP bike. <laughs> yes. And now it's like, oh, it only has 120 horsepower. Oh, it must be a slug. It's like, no, it's not a slug. But bike goes, I mean, I was going home and where I live, it's, there's like a big wide boulevard with no driveways or anything. It's, it, it's just, you know, curves between the, the blocks. And, you know, I decided, oh, I think, see how it accelerates. And, you know, I was up to 90 miles an hour between before the next light right away right you know so you you have to ride smart still it's not like oh i can it's not like i'm on a honda grom or you know things like oh i can rev it wide open and nothing's gonna happen to me it's like yeah if we rev it wide open it's going really fast really fast it doesn't need a lot of peak horsepower because it's an upright naked bike and peak horsepower is really you know used for for top speed and top end so the you know the fact that it's 120 horsepower means that it probably doesn't have a huge top speed i mean okay so you're not going to be doing you know 150 miles an hour in it. i mean like who cares but where it is going to score is that big torque number so it's going and that's what makes you accelerate and that's where we all live in the real world we don't want peak horsepower on the street what we want is lots of torque because that's what that's what makes it riding fun right and this bike totally delivers it yeah and i mentioned the, the seat height a little bit earlier it's, it's 1.4 inches lower than it was i mean that's a huge difference wow that is huge you know and it almost feels i don't want to say too low when you're standing on it because it's when you're sitting on it because you kind of get this ex expectation i'm on a sport bike i expect to 
be in this position, you know, relative to the ground. But the seating position itself, the pegs are up, so it has cornering clearance. So it's not a, a tight seating position, but it's definitely not a relaxed one either. Right. You know, I, I'd say it's on the, the, you know, if you had exactly neutral, it's a little bit more sporty and aggressive than that. But, but it doesn't push you too far forward or have the two wide bars so that you, that, that accentuates that. The legs are, you know, you wouldn't want to go touring on it, but you can ride all day on it. And the lack of fairing means that you're going to take the wind last, you know, so yeah, you could, of course you could go, you could go touring on it, but it's, it's probably something more suitable than that. Oh yeah. The Indian has plenty of touring bikes and yeah, the handlebar, they cut it down an inch and a half from, from the previous version. Nice. It's like everything they did kind of style wise. It, it's almost like the first FTR they had the, you know, you have the battle between the engineers and the styling guys and the styling guys won. Right. And now this year, the engineer guys held sway and say, no, no, we're going to make this bike work right. You make it look as cool as you can within these parameters, but we're going to make it work right. right. And, and they won. And that's to me better because the bike doesn't look worse to me. You know, it looks, the bike looks great. So there's no, there's no downside of, of the, of the change that they made. So, you know, it just maybe in, in the minds of some people, you know, some that, that, loss of the 18 19 inch wheel combo changes the look in a big negative way but i don't think it does i think it makes the bike look more aggressive and more purposeful yeah i'd agree with that. so it it's great cool so i'm gonna have to get you out and have you take a spin on it because you you would like this bike i think i think i would yeah it sounds like just my kind of thing yeah awesome okay well thanks i appreciate hearing your thoughts on it it sounds like a really fun machine. Yeah, it really, it, it I, you know, I, I try not to have any expectations for a motorcycle when I get on it. You know, it's like I let the bike tell me what it is. In this case, you know, it, it ex exceeded what I thought it could possibly be. You know, because you, you kind of think, okay, it's kind of this cruisery, like the Scout, maybe a little bit more sporty, but still what it is. And then you get on it, you're right. Like, oh wow, they really got this right again, mainly because of all the changes they made. The old bike was that way, and the new bike is is a is a much different motorcycle. And as I also said, they have the a rally version that still has the the larger tires. So if you like that, you, you're not disappointed. They haven't they haven't stolen it from you. You get to still have that if you like it. But I think, boy, unless I'm just really showing off for my friends, and want to look the coolest of the cool flat trackery guy that this this the the 17 inch wheel versions are, are far far superior motorcycle for for riders awesome okay okay all right thank you sir that's uh that sounds great i'm looking forward to riding it all right talk to you soon all right in this second segment we hear from my good friend george puckhaber and his motorcycle travels to the far east since you've already heard from George a couple of times before, I thought you might be interested to hear a little background on him. So I got him to tell us briefly about what led him to go riding around the world on a motorcycle. I think it's probably something we all wish we could do. I spent 30 years in television. I started out in documentaries and then became, you know, then I went to historical docs and then it became reality TV. Right. And, uh, 
the company I worked with, uh, we started Monster Garage, which was the first real car. Oh yeah. Um, thing. How cool. Biker build off where they built choppers and competed against each other. Yep. Yep. Monster House. That's great. Um, wow, what a what a cool Deadliest Catch, Ice Road Truckers, Axemen. Oh, you you produced wars, you produced all of those? All of those. I mean, we had Holy a moly. lot of stuff. Bering Sea Gold, which was a gold mining show in Alaska. Were were any of those shows sort of particularly yours? I mean that No, I was uh you really kind of I was the exec in charge of production. I was the general contractor, the nuts and bolts guy. I see. Okay. Not the architect. Uh, so I wasn't a creative. I was, uh, I made the tra trains run on time. I see. Okay. You know, yeah. my boss would get a crazy idea about, we got to do this. And then I'd have to figure out how, how to, to execute, execute it. it. Oh yeah. man, man. Yeah. I mean, just trying to get camera crews who are prepared to you know go to sea on yes. ocean going trawlers right. and that level of danger and yes and they would be like so george how much are you going to pay me you know here's my day rate and you'd be like oh well, well here's what i learned early on is <laughs> canada won't let you in if you've had a dui right and every that. damn you know cameraman i was like have you ever had a dui no tell me the truth please have you had a dui absolutely not and then the next thing i get a call billy bob's been sent back from the canadian border i'm like dude <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just flew you there now i gotta fly you home now i gotta find another cameraman wow but, um wow you know deadliest catch attracted a lot of adventure guys who were kayakers uh mountain climbers you know right. that do a lot of those kind of films anyway so there was a whole culture of guys that fit for that right um, right yeah how cool yeah and then at some point you learned how to ride motorcycles and you've always been riding motorcycles and 30 years probably all right you've done you some know? racing and i know you've done some racing i bought you know what happened arthur I was a Porsche guy when I was a little kid. I always wanted a, a Porsche, and I wanted to race cars. All right. My pam, my family's not supportive of that kind of stuff. At all. <laughs> no, right. They're sailors and fishers and hunters. You know, that's their thing. Right. Um, I bought a Porsche. Whereabouts are you from originally? Uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, so that was it. Okay. So I was in Atlanta working for Ted Turner. Right. And I started making some money. I went and bought a Porsche and took it to the track and scared myself because I couldn't <laughs> afford to break it. You know, it's like, <laughs> if I break this, I don't have a car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized motorcycles are a lot cheaper and go a lot faster. <laughs> so I bought a bike and uh, I started riding in the mountains of North Georgia and, you know, starting to see people get hurt and whatnot. And right. somebody said, you should go to the racetrack. And I'm like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah. Huh. And so I started racing. And it was way cheaper than trying to race a car. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And, uh, yeah, motorcycles stuck with me. Yeah. Sport bikes, dirt bikes, everything. I've tried it all good at none of it but i've certainly i've certainly tried it all join the club yeah, yeah right? that's awesome 
Good for you. It's like, yeah, I've dirt track raced. <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I supermoto raced. I knocked myself out on the starting line. Um, yeah. You know how it goes. I do. So now that we know a little bit more about George, let's head off to the Far East with him. He proves to be as entertaining as he was in the previous episodes. Are you ready for the revolutionary new 2022 Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle? Hailed as the ultimate sport bike, the third generation Hayabusa melds two generations of refinement, resulting in the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Its Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, 1340cc inline four-cylinder engine and updated driveline deliver unmatched performance. Plus, it comes in three new head-turning color combinations and offers a full suite of available Suzuki Genuine accessories that you can choose from. The ultimate rider waits, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. So after you got back from Canada, you got back to North Carolina. Uh, Los Angeles, actually. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So you got back to Los Angeles and then you thought, well, now what? Now what? <laughs> yes. I, I, and something rang true. I had met a guy in Santiago, Santiago, Chile, and he had asked me, he was like, after you got to Ushuaia, how long was it until you figured out you had no other plans beyond that? And I said, well, you you just brought that up, and I realized it. But I still had to get home. I got to Alaska. I got back down to California, um, and I was restless. And I didn't want, know what to do. I didn't want to go back to work. I had renters in my house. I right. had rented my house, and I, so I didn't have a home to go back to. Um, and then the German couple I'd met, you know, and traveled with, they called up and said, hey, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? Want to fly to Vietnam and ride? And I said, sure. So their plan was to fly, buy motorcycles, ride, and then sell them when you leave. So uh, these Germans talked me into going to Hanoi, which I'd never thought about, Vietnam. <laughs> right. um, but I applied for a visa, a three-month visa, traveled over there, met them. They had a month off, and they wanted to ride northern Vietnam, which is the pretty part, you know, the mountains, and it's just gorgeous up there. And uh, so we spent a month traveling together, spent Christmas in, uh, in some beautiful place, and then New Year's in Da Nang, and uh, wow. rode part of the Ho Chi Minh Trail and stuff, and uh, went to the islands in the South China Sea, Kat Ba Island, and Halong Bay, and and what what bike were you on? I mean, I mean, start start well, up. Uh, how did that? I bought a Honda CRF one fifty. I nice. really wanted a 250. I was like, I can't, I need a 250, but <laughs> that's really not a thing over there. You know, a 150, everyone rides scooters and the scooters max out at like 100 or 110 cc's. So okay. 150 is faster than everything. It's the hot <laughs> rod. 
is and a CRF one fifty is a full size bike. It's smaller than a two fifty motocross it's bike. Short, of course. But it's not but, a little mini but it's XR not a little seventy five min- or okay. something. So it's not like a kid's bike. It's not a kid's bike. No, it's for them it's a big bike. It looks okay. pretty big. Okay. Uh, but they're little people and they sit in little tiny chairs and uh, <laughs> <laughs> So So you got a CRF one fifty. Was that hard to find or? Uh, no, there was a company that really caters to this kind of business. It's oh, okay. a rental place, but the deals are structured so that it's a buy, buy back deal and they transfer ownership to you okay. so that you can cross the borders into Laos and Cambodia. I see. Um, versus okay. being on a rental, they wouldn't let you through. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So what was the plan then? Just to ride North Vietnam and that was it? North Vietnam. There, we found a website called Vietnam Coracle. There's a Westerner living there who's traveled all over Vietnam on a scooter and he's mapped it all out. These are the great roads. These are the cool things to see, the places to stay. So he did a really good job of putting together routes in various regions of the country. So oh, nice. we followed his northern route um, and stayed at a lot of the places he recommended and just had a fabulous time. I mean, it's getting paved and developed pretty quickly, but there's still a lot of rural, dirt roady stuff. And once you get out of the big city of Hanoi or Saigon, it goes country quick. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, what's the, what's the climate like there? Uh, wet, it was wet cold. And rainy. It was warm, down low, cold in the higher elevations. Okay. You know, cold and wet and foggy sometimes. But I rode most of the time in a motocross jersey with my riding pants and motocross boots, but just a jersey with Under Armour. You know. Wow. Elbow pads and stuff. I didn't wear wear my big adventure jacket or anything. Wow. Because okay. you're not traveling that fast. Right. You know, you're going right. 30 miles an hour, tops. Right. Okay. Did you put luggage on the bike? I mean, you... I did. I had to really scale down my luggage. I put a Moscow Moto 80 liter bag on the back, strapped it on, and it was fine. Okay. I had enough stuff. Right. I and... did. Now, I traveled with a big bag with all my gear in it, and I left that at the motorcycle place my you know my carry-on with the wheels and my civilian clothes and jacket and shoes and okay. just took my motors motocross gear I rode motocross gear so were you based there and then you would sort of go out and do rides or you were out and traveling? we did a big loop we did a big loop the Germans had to go back to work after a month I stayed for another two months I crossed in after they left, um, and we rode together and saw some amazing stuff. It's a beautiful country, fantastic place to go. I would, I would recommend it to everyone we know if they want to go and ride. And, um, really? Okay. I mean, I've been to Malaysia. I mean, is it that same kind of? I have not. Feel very green and. I would assume I've not been to Malaysia, but. Same sort of region of the world. Right. Beautiful big mountains. Right. Um, it looks like 
you know, it looks like a dragon humps. The mountains look like dragons, you know, wow. and uh, the terraced rice fields and the oxen and the people working in the in the fields. Okay. Is it really busy? I mean, are there a lot of people? Is it highly populated? It's a very busy place. Uh, Hanoi's just, you know, it's like a, um, a beehive. It's just cranking all the time. But even outside of Hanoi and the smaller towns, it's very industrious. People are working, working, working. Right. Kids are going to school, back and forth. Everyone's on a scooter. Everyone's laughing and waving. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was cool. Wow. Eye-opener. Wow, interesting. And so I take it, again, you were staying in hostels and, and little... We were staying in... Little places. You weren't camping. We were not camping there. So I didn't take any camping gear with me. Um, and you didn't have to buy any tents on the way? Didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to buy a new tent. Okay. Thankfully, um, probably could have got a surplus army tent somewhere, <laughs> right. um, which is a whole different thing. They really trade on that veteran U.S. Army soldiers coming over there and being tourists. They really cater to... Um, veterans oh. of the Vietnam War. Oh, really? Uh, it's a whole tourist industry, but um, and they're not sort of anti the Americans, or there's no, no anti-American sentiment. No, not at all. They love Americans. Um, wow. You see Willis jeeps, you know, with the U.S. <laughs> Army on them. Oh, wow. There's a lot of clothing stores that sell clothes that are fashioned after military fatigues and so you whatnot. can walk around looking like rambo if you want you can to. if you want you <laughs> okay. can if you want um but very special place uh the north is a lot of mountains okay. twisty roads um and, and, then, all, and again mixture of off-road and on or mixture of off-road and on and by off-road they're very narrow two tracks even the on-road are very asphalt, you know, very narrow asphalt, because once you get out of town, there aren't really trucks. Everything is either scooters or like these lawnmower things pulling little tiny wagons, or oxen. There are oxen carting, you know, <laughs> pulling stuff around to the marketplaces. Right. Um, so it's obviously very agricultural economy. Absolutely. Rice, you know, etc. Now, you know, some of the towns you see these big shops with 500 scooters outside and you figure they're manufacturing something. They're probably making our our clothes or, you know, yeah. or our bags or whatever. So right. yeah, a lot of manufacturing. Te textile, probably textile manufacturing. A lot of textile manufacturing. Sure. Probably more in the south than the north. Yeah. But I, I can't say I really know. Right, right. And what's the culture like? I mean, the people are obviously friendly. I mean, if they're all happy and waving. They're all super friendly, very happy really? culture. You know, there's stuff I don't understand. The language barrier was was pretty steep. I only learned yeah. a handful of words. Right. Um, so I don't really, you know, it's a communist country. I don't know what that means on how do you decide where you live, where you go. But everyone's in school. I mean... And it's a very young country. They get married um, as teenagers, have two kids before they're 20, and then they're done. And then, you know, the, their moms are 
38, 40 years old, take care of the kids, and then they work. So everyone's very young. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. Well, actually, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Very, Have the kids young and then... And then just and get on back, with it. Go back to work. Yeah, yeah. go back to work. Um, wow. Is it, I mean, there must be a lot of poverty there. I mean, real poverty. Right? I didn't see poverty in Vietnam, but Laos, Cambodia was a completely different story. Okay. Vietnam seemed like it was really buttoned up. Uh, wow. A very, very dialed in culture, place... I did not see the the poverty. Um, Laos is very different. Okay, uh, so you went from you went from Vietnam, and the Germans left, and you decided, you know what, I'm going to keep. We did going. a big loop back to Hanoi. They okay. left, and then from there, I went back to the northern corner of Vietnam. We hadn't quite explored, and then came down and crossed into Laos. They had been to Laos before on their motorcycles as part okay. of their round-the-world trip. And they were like, you got to go. <laughs> and I went, and uh, the locals say the Vietnamese plant the rice. The Laotians listen to it grow. And it's very much the culture. You know, Vietnamese, they're worky, 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 worky. You get to Laos, and it's just quiet and just mellow. relaxed. Relaxed. A lot less people. A lot more poverty. Um, most of the people you see, the males are monks of some sort. Oh, a lot of okay. temples everywhere, a lot of monks. And I asked about that and it said, well, they send the boys to the monastery because they get an education that way, you oh, know, as monks. Okay. And then they go back periodic periodically throughout their life. Um, where Vietnam, everyone goes to school and they're all on electric scooters. They all ride electric scooters. Ah. Yeah, right? Electric now, so everything's going electric. You would think electric. there'd be a poor kid on a two-stroke or something, but <laughs> right. no, everyone's on electric scooters. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so the, the food, I mean, you're stopping at sort of restaurants and just random cafes or something? Yeah, or? it's a lot of street food. Okay. Um, and you, you see where the trucks stop and eat or the workers stop and eat there are a lot of plantations and they'll have a kitchen out there and a bunch of hammocks so everyone breaks for lunch they eat and then they crawl in the hammock and take a nap um, the kids get out of school at like 11 and then go back at 3 so you know they're in school in the morning and then they have a big siesta and then they go back till like 7 at night oh okay um, so food wise we ate a lot of noodles, <laughs> and we we ate a lot of banh mi's, which was a fresh bag baguette with some meat in it and some salad. Okay, sounds quite nice. It was good, you know, on the side of the road. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So I guess from a communications point of view, there's probably no cell phone network there, or we had SIM cards, and they oh, have really? Wi-Fi everywhere. Wow. So all these all these countries are all highly connected. They're all on Wi-Fi or right. cell. They got cell towers too, but they don't right. have landlines. They went straight to cell. Oh, you know? okay. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. So at least, you know, you, you could always call if there was an emergency or if there was a problem. 
you wouldn't be just stranded mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. I had a global rescue program so that I, I was ever in trouble. I had an in-reach tracker and it had an SOS button on it and I had a program to go to Global Rescue and if I ever got in trouble, I could contact them. They could organize my rescue, my hospital and whatever repatriation to the US right. that needed to happen. Right, right. Um, what What is the standard of driving like in some of these places? I mean, were you having all these close shaves and you know, all these crazy people or? Hanoi and uh, Ho Chi Minh, Saigon, are terrifying. I mean, it's just terrifying. Once you get out in the country, there's very little vehicles out there. And we were on oh. 150s, which are the fastest bikes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could overtake anything. But the cities are horrifying. I mean, oh, really? it is solid traffic, right. solid scooters. And this is the stuff that you see on YouTube. Oh my gosh. Crazy intersection cameras. There's just footage. solid traffic going both ways, you know, rum, rum, rum. And I did it walking first before I did it on the bike. And I was <laughs> like, how do you cross the street? And they were like, you just go. I'm like, what do you mean? Because you just walk out and walk across the street. And just keep a consistent pace. And they'll go around you. And I, target fixate. And you just... know how hard it is to walk out in traffic, Arthur? <laughs> Holy moly. I, I was terrified. I was like, I'm about to die. Right. And I just walked out and I just kept walking. And it was like a school of fish. They just went around me. You just felt like Moses at the Red Sea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Then I had to pick up the bike and ride it back to the hostel, you know. To, right. And I'm like, well, we just drive out there? And they're like, same thing. Just like walking. <laughs> just ride out there. If you tried that in L.A., you'd be dead immediately. Right, yes. But they just drive around you. And are there a lot of crashes and accidents, or are they all pretty good? I think there's a fair bit of crashing, I would <laughs> there imagine. Has to be. I mean, uh the Germans, uh, the woman, Kirsten, she had a crash. We were crossing the bridge, and there were just millions of bikes funneling into one lane to go across a bridge, and somebody knocked her down. Oh. Um, and she likes to tell you she's only been riding a motorcycle for three years. Right. You know, it's like, I don't have the experience. I've only been riding for three years. <laughs> I'm like, Kirsten, you've been riding every single day for three years. <laughs> right. That's more than most of my friends have ridden <laughs> right. in their entire career. <laughs> right. And you've ridden on some pretty challenging Challenging terrain. stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. On a transalp. Yeah. But, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic place. Vietnam was great. Uh, efficient. Clean. Um and just beautiful countryside. Beautiful country. Great roads we and beautiful We stayed in wonderful countryside. places. We stayed in a lot of homestays, which oh, which so is like, like Airbnbs kind of thing. Well, they're like small inns, so they have a couple of rooms, but the family lives there too, and okay. you eat dinner with the family. Okay. So they cook a big spread, and you come down and eat with them. And one of the most shameful things that happened to me. I was eating with the family and they got the big spread and I've got my chopsticks and I think I'm getting pretty good. You <laughs> right. know? And at one point, the man of the house just reached over and grabbed the chopsticks out of my hand and handed me a fork. <laughs> and I was like, 
I guess I'm not doing as well as I thought. <laughs> that was an ego blow. Oh, man. Did he smile? Or... He just like, no, give me those. You don't know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So you were up in the mountains, and is it very forested? or? Uh, No, no, it's pretty... Sort of grassy? Yeah, grassy, you know. Okay. And it's very terraced. Everything's farmed. Everything's on terraces. Okay. A lot of but, people work But in very green, fields. obviously. I mean, it rains Very, a lot. very green. Okay. Beautiful. The greenest place I've ever seen. Oh, really? Um, pretty cool. Nice. There were, a, in the tourist towns, my German friends don't like going to tourist towns. They like staying in the country. But sure. me... You know, there are a couple. I'm by myself. I like tourist towns. I meet people, talk, and, you know. Right, sure. So we would have a little bit of, come on, can we please go to this place? Because, <laughs> you know, I want to meet a girl. I want to at least talk to a girl every now and then. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> but, right. but uh, yeah, so we did a little bit of both. A lot of Chinese in the in the tourist towns. Okay. Um Vietnam is not a big fan of the Chinese, but oh, really? but they're okay. certainly there in mass as tourists. Right. Um, but uh, when my friends left, they went home and they were they said you have to go to Laos, you have to go. Okay. And I went to Laos and it, how far how far away is that? It's just the next country over. Um, Right, but in border. terms of sort of mileage, I mean, a couple hundred miles? Or? Yeah, probably. Well, I tried to cross at a northern border, and they wouldn't let me through, and I went down. And borders over there are a lot different. Um, okay. Some you can get through, some you can't. I don't know why, um, but I kept trying borders until one let me <laughs> let me in. Um, and then I went north in Laos to this town called Luan Prabang, which is filled with temples and just it was like Laura Croft man you go in these magic temples with <laughs> these big deities and you know Hindu and Buddhism and everything wow. and monks everywhere it was it was like nothing I'd ever seen you know sure. I culturally Vietnam Laos Cambodia just blew me away because it was nothing like I've ever been around right, so different so different than our Western lifestyle right um, and what, what kind of houses do they live in are they sort of small you well know, you, I mean I assume they're relatively civilized I mean they have electricity and cell phones and... not so much in Laos but Laos in the towns you have French colonial because, okay. you know, they were occupied by the French forever. Right, um, okay. And then you have these things that are like up on stilts. They're just like a big flat platform with a roof over it. And some have walls and some don't. It's just ah. it's just like a tree house, you know? Right. And, and they do that because of the flooding? or I think it's just the weather and they just sleep on these big platforms wow and i noticed in all the towns they sold safes you'd see <laughs> these safes everywhere right and i guess it's because they don't have doors or walls you know and they put their stuff in a safe somewhere and uh yeah and, and so people can just sort of go from house to house because there's no doors no doors or... just 
ladders going up to a platform with a roof over it. And they also have like these... And lots of families sharing yes, the same sharing. space. Um, ah. And then you see these things near the road that are just like a wooden platform and people just sleep on them. They just sleep on these wooden platforms. Wow. With so, their little safe next to them. So when you go to <laughs> a hotel, the mattress is about an inch and a half thick. You know, it's, <laughs> And after a while, I got used to it. The first night, I was like, whoa, I'm sleeping on wood. But <laughs> right. After a while, you're like, well, my back feels better. <laughs> right. It's actually not too bad. <laughs> this is not so bad. <laughs> Laos is fantastic. Really? Yeah, the food's good. Um, there's this place down south called the 4,000 Islands. They're just little islands. And you put your bike on a canoe, and they canoe you over there, and you're like, I see why you read about 300 people dying, you know, when the ferry tips over, because there's no OSHA anywhere. <laughs> right. I'm on, granted it's 150, but I'm in a canoe going out to this island. Right. <laughs> and you get out there and there's there's a wooden platform but for us westerners they put hammocks up so you got a hammock or you can sleep on the wooden platform and in, and it's right on the river wow you know it's five bucks and uh down it's got to be dead cheap there i should think dead cheap down the road there's an awesome french restaurant you know <laughs> it's pretty cool Wow, how fascinating. So how far away, I mean, when you were in South America, you were covering some big mileage. I did, yeah. But this sounds like it's a lot more, a lot more localized. Yeah, you were, you were not traveling the distances. Yeah, I mean, on a 150, um, you're not going to be. I but think. I did three countries, top to bottom, in three months. So I covered some ground. Vietnam's really big. Okay. I mean, it's not wide, but it's long. Right. Okay. Um, and then Laos and Cambodia are next door to it. And um, okay, Laos was was just magic. It was a magical place. They got elephants. Yeah. You know, you're driving along, and there's a dude coming out of the wood <laughs> woods with an elephant. You know, toting some stuff. And granted, there be of burden, and that's not cool, and all that. But it's an elephant. <laughs> right. I've never seen an elephant working outside of the circus. <laughs> well, like, I guess at some level, why not? Yeah. I mean, to them, the elephant is the same as the horse is to us. That's right. Yeah. I it's... mean, you know, or the donkey. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not necessarily cruel. In fact, I'm sure they probably treat them pretty well. They're family. I mean, I mean they last family. for 40 years or something. Right. Um. There is a big movement because logging is slowing down. There are a lot of elephants and the mahouts sure. who are out of work, and now oh. they're trying to create sanctuaries for the elephants to go and live. Right. But you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, I mean, just cultural differences. Cultural I mean, differences. Not to say that they're they're cruel to them. They're probably not. Yeah. The hardest thing for me was Vietnam and, you know, dogs going to the marketplace. Oh, yeah. That was a tough one. Um, and seeing them, you know, people butcher animals and just put them on a table on the side of the road. And you come by and stop and go, oh, I need some steak or whatever. But Right. And they're like, you want dog steak or you yeah, want beef steak? Yeah, you know, or... seeing uh, a dog displayed... 
right was not fun for me but no. that's their world you know i can't judge and what's even, it is i mean who's to say that i mean the, i mean for us dogs are domesticated animals so right so you know they're sort of man's best friend sure yeah but at the same time i mean you know pigs and cows and chickens we, okay they're not we they don't have the personality yeah. but who's you know to say? for us it's all wrapped up in the supermarket and here you go right there they'll take an ox and there's a place where there's a waterfall or something, some a water source near the road. Right. And they're like, oh, this is a good place. And they'll butcher it right there on the side of the street, cut it all up, display all the meats, and people stop in and, and buy they them. Make their selection and off they go. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a butcher shop, just not quite as clinical as it is over here. Yeah, it's just... It's pretty, that's pretty rad. Yeah, that would be... That would be a little tough for me. I would definitely, I'd, I'd eat a lot of noodles. That is for sure. I ate a lot of noodles. I'd eat a lot of and noodles I'd, interspersed with a lot of rice. And I <laughs> I didn't take any pictures of that. I was like, I'm no, not no. photographing this. No. This no, is no. not an Instagram worthy shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like you say, you don't want to judge because it is their culture. It is what they do. And, and it's how they are. Right. Right. So yeah that's that's tough but but yeah i mean looking back i mean the 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 country sounds absolutely spectacular and you and you thought laos totally safe totally safe uh, absolutely safe right um yeah they've got pretty strict laws i think aren't they i mean one would imagine yeah i got i got busted for speeding (laughs) once i got i got busted for speeding and the guy just told me to slow down he's like there are cops ahead you know he right. was he was a cop, but he said chill out because there's stuff ahead. Another time I got busted, I was flying, and uh, you know, flying on the CRF one fifty. Yeah, I had that CRF pinned. Pinned. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, uh, the speed limits have got to be pretty strict. They and are. It was a CRF one fifty. I mean, what were you doing? It was a CRF one fifty. I was fifty going, or sixty kilometers oh, really? <laughs> yeah kilometers. yeah 50 or 60 kilometers like you hooligan <laughs> you know it was a you know it's like everywhere don't speed in town oh you know okay. i'm All coming right. into town i'm going too fast and i got pulled over and uh we went back and forth and he wrote some numbers down and i uh i balked and screwed around and then <laughs> I knew he wasn't writing me a ticket. He was writing numbers on a sheet of paper. And I kept pointing at his ticket book and going, write me a ticket. And then finally he wrote a number that I said, okay, and, and paid. And what what was that approximately? In oh, my US gosh. Dollars? It was it was like 10 bucks or yeah, something? Yeah, it was a handful of dollars. Right, okay. Um, yeah. But Laos, there's a town in Laos. There's a river. Laos is Laos is the country. Laos is the country. It's the neighboring country, just east of Vietnam. Okay. You know, and they and just north of Cambodia. North of Cambodia and south of China, so it okay. borders Vietnam, Cambodia, so China. So it's, it's landlocked. Then. It's landlocked. It's the Golden Triangle where all the okay. bad stuff used to come. Okay. Now the Chinese have leased all the Golden Tri- Triangle. And they are harvesting all the hardwoods and killing off the elephants and tigers. And, oh man! Um, and they've dammed the Mekong. They're 
big hydro plants all over. And oh, they're wow. building high-speed rail from China through Laos, through Cambodia, to the sea. And it looks like a Discovery uh, Disney monorail. You know, wow. it's just high-tech, high-speed train they're building, and it's just going to be to move freight to the coast. Wow. And, you know, we never talk about that, but they are, they're building infrastructure all over the world. Right, um, right. They're building high-rise hotels in national parks. Right. In Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, and they can't do anything about it. They're just right. like, yeah, we'll build a high-rise here. Right. Um, but back to the story. There's a town called Vien Vieng, and it used to be quite famous for the hippie people. There's a there's a river, and there are restaurants along the river, and you rent a tube, you know, an inner tube <laughs> right. at the upstream, and you float down, you stop at all the bars, and then you come out at the end, and you return your tube. And there's a big fine for not returning the tube. <laughs> and all of the places sell happy shakes and happy pizzas, <laughs> which are spiked with mushrooms. You know, the happy... Shake is oh, a mushroom hallucinogenic? shake. Yes. So oh, all these man. kids used to go there and get hammered. And, <laughs> and the cops own all the restaurants. So they're selling you drugs, and then you get to the end, and you've lost your inner tube, and you're intoxicated, and then they would arrest you <laughs> and <laughs> fleece you. That's kind of going away now. But I rode through there, and I was like, I'm not eating a happy pizza. <laughs> no happy shakes. Anything that says happy on it. <laughs> yeah, don't is order novelty. the happy. <laughs> wow, that's really cool though. But I got to the bottom of Laos in the four thousand islands. I hung out there for a while and it was just super cool. And that was the last I saw of the Chinese because the coronavirus had become a thing. Oh. And people are talking about it, but no one was really excited about it. My dad's like you should take this serious, son. And I'm like, meh, it's going to go away. All of a sudden, <laughs> all the Chinese disappeared. All the tourists oh, really? who'd been everywhere for months, gone. Like Wow, they all got they all repatriated. Went home. They all went home. Um, wow. And then I took a boat south down the river to a weird Cana uh, Cambodian border. Okay. You know, and uh, had a weird, complicated attempt at crossing the border. <laughs> and they wouldn't allow it, so I had to take a boat back north, go into Vietnam, go south, and then back into Laos. Oh, uh, Cambodia. So Crazy. I had to. But the cool thing about that was I got on the Ho Chi Minh Trail not the Ho Chi Minh Highway, but actually part of the Ho Chi Minh Trail from Vietnam era. And it was a great off-road ride for a couple of days. And um, got a flat tire right. right outside of a tire shop. <laughs> and the thing about it is for the CRF 150, there are tire shops and Honda shops everywhere, but no one's got tubes for the 150. Everyone rides. Uh, oh. So I had a bunch of spare tubes. Okay. And, uh, I, you know, I gave him a tube. He fixed it. <clears throat> but it was pretty funny. The Chinese had disappeared a couple of days earlier. Now, when you'd show up places, 
people would see you and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, an American, a Santa Claus, <laughs> whatever. They'd run over and hug you and all. And I got to the tire shop and there was a guy there and three kids. I took my helmet off and they all pulled their shirts up over their mouth and went and hid behind their dad. Oh, because of coronavirus. So I was like, something's going on. I still didn't really know. Right. <clears throat> but I crossed I crossed back into Cambodia and I went to Angkor Wat, another place, you know, like Machu Picchu that I'd read about but didn't really have high expectations. Right. And because of corona, there was no Chinese tourists there. It was pretty empty and I rode my bike everywhere. I mean, I could ride them right up to the temples. And uh, so Angkor Wat was pretty special. Right. And then I worked my way down to the coast and had a fun time. Did some crazy off-road stuff there, getting to the <laughs> coast. I mean, you're on roads that you're like, I don't know where, <laughs> this looks like Rambo stuff, but, and it was a lot of deep sand, but you're on a 150. You know, it's not like trying to manage the GS through the right. sand. It's a 150, you just, right. you can right. duck walk it if need be. Sure. Um, and then I got myself, by then, I had planned to get to Vietnam, sell the bike, fly to Thailand, go to MotoGP. But by then, MotoGP was canceled, and right. I'm in Cambodia, and flights are getting canceled. So right. I got back into southern Vietnam, and I stayed at one of the famous... Uh, war hotels you know that would oh. all the dignitaries stayed in during the <laughs> okay. vietnam war so i went there and then saigon or ho chi minh to hanoi is a long ride it took me i don't remember but it was more than a week of just oh uh, wow just pinned yeah i mean i stayed off the big roads i did back roads right how how do you deal with you know, sort of fuel stations and, I mean, are there just sort of like lots of gas stations? I mean, if you're sort of out in the middle of nowhere and you're taking some side road, you're kind of like, well, what happens if I run out of gas? Yeah, Vietnam is not much of a problem because it's, it's pretty well developed and there are fuel stations everywhere and there are Honda shops everywhere. Right. Um, Cambodia and I mean, Laos how far, how far were a little the bike tricky. How far would the bike go on a tank of gas? I mean, like 150 miles? 100 yeah, miles? and you're rarely doing that far in a day. You know? Right, okay. So you're not filling up more than once a day. Okay. But here's the kicker, Arthur. you, you got to change the oil every couple, three days. you got to change the oil every 600 miles. What? So Why? Because it's a little 150. And they wouldn't buy the, but you had to document the oil changes for when you sold it back. Otherwise they wouldn't buy it. Or they would hit you up or something, you know. So every oh. 600 miles, I was in a Honda shop doing an oil change. And there are Honda shops everywhere. <laughs> but they don't sell 150s, you know. They all sell the little wave scooters or whatnot. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So fuel isn't, isn't an issue. Fuel's what not... About... Well, here's the reason. Everyone's got scooters. There are scooters everywhere. Right. You might not get a gas station. You might be buying fuel out of Coke bottles. Right. But 
you know, and that's pretty common getting gas out of a two liter Coke bottle. Wow. But everybody's got a scooter, so there's fuel everywhere. Gasoline. Right. Um, right. So what, so what about accommodation? I mean, do you book ahead or do you just sort of look on the map and think, well, I'll get to this town and there'll be something and, or do you just grab a platform by the side of the road? You know, the Germans were very good at planning and okay. they had a very cool routine of we're going to pick three spots and that's what we would do at dinner drinking beer and having dinner it's like we got a short destination a middle and a long so you know if it's a hard day we stop at the short place right you know if we can move to the second or we do a long day we get to the third place and they were doing that in south america as well and they would research different places uh, um, okay, but you but never when, had to book anything. Though. We never booked. We booked a eco lodge for Christmas in advance, which was a pretty neat place in the in the woods somewhere. Um, but right. once they left, I didn't do any planning. I just. <laughs> but here's the thing: Booking dot com works. You just look on Booking dot com and go, oh yeah, choo choo choo. And once you learn the spelling of what a hotel is right you know you're Which like are obviously that's... special characters yeah special characters but once you figure out that's a hotel then you just go and stop and they always have rooms and right and they usually have a garage in the basement that's a big thing we never talked about you always got to make sure your bike's secure yeah uh for sure. either locked in a garage or in the restaurant or the lobby or right. whatever is there a lot of theft there? I suppose there must be. No, but, you know, that's your transportation. If your bike disappears, your party's over. Yeah, that, that's true. You know? So that yeah. was South America, Mexico, the whole thing. We always made sure our bike was... Yeah, that's your whole world. Secure. Yeah, 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 for sure. So did you get to go to any of the, the beaches or anything? I did do some beaches in Cambodia. I, uh, I camped... When I got to the place I was going on the beach in Cambodia, all their little cottages were sold out, but they rented me a tent for $2. And I slept <laughs> slept on the beach in a little tiny one-man tent. That's awesome. Um, that actually sounds pretty cool. It was fun. And what, what are the beaches like? Are they sort of, you know, soft white sand and beautiful. crystal clear yes, water? Yes, beautiful, and... beautiful. The, the beaches along the shore in Vietnam sort of in the middle of the country are fantastic. A lot of, you know, the tourism there is a lot of Russians. Oh, okay. A lot of Russian tourists there. I guess the the Chinese had gone. You right. know, they disappeared for COVID. Um, but there was, went to several towns that had a lot of Russian tourists. Right. And just beautiful beaches. Nice. And then you go up to Halong Bay and Katba Island, those are the places with those islands, right? You know, sticking out of the sticking water. Out of the water. It's like the James Bond film. Type exactly stuff, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah man yeah, with the okay. golden gun. That's right. It's it's pretty stunning. We did a boat I'll trip bet. out there and kayaked and slept on the boat. And awesome. Yeah, it was good fun. That sounds great. Um, definitely. So how how long was the whole trip then? For me, I had oh, a... It was three months, I guess. It was three months. I had a three-month Vietnamese visa. Okay. Um, so I had to get out 
and I was planning to go to Thailand and that fell apart and then I couldn't get a flight so I overstayed my visa by maybe a week but they knew they were like you know everyone's like we're trying to figure this out we're trying to right. get people home right and um, okay. Hanoi was a ghost town really and I had an expat Just because of COVID yeah I had an expat friend living in Hanoi working for a car company actually um, that I'd met at MotoGP and he got sent home he's like everyone's working from home you know no one's going to the office sound like LA but um, all the flights got canceled and I managed I managed to get a flight to Tokyo and then from there I rebooked to LAX right and it was really weird because over there everywhere you went they would take your temperature and ask you where you've been and who you've been with right and then I got to LAX which was empty. I'd never seen that before. Right. I didn't even see a customs guy. I put my my <laughs> uh, passport in the kiosk machine and then walked out, grabbed my bag, and left. No one asked anything. Wow. <laughs> Pretty weird, huh? That's crazy. Wow. Sounds like an amazing trip. It was a fantastic trip. So I how, would. How would you compare this to your South America your South American trip? Um. South America was a mission. You know, it was a bucket list for a long time. Right. I knew it was going to take a lot of planning and a lot of time. Right. So it was, you know, it was a year in my life. Um, Vietnam was just completely different. It was just like nothing I had ever experienced. It was fun and exotic and... Laura Crofty and, you know, Jungle Book, all, all those cool Rudyard Kipling, all that stuff rolled into one. Um, it was a surprise. No idea what to expect, and it blew me away. Sounds cool. To the point where I met a lot of expats living there in various places. Oh, really? One ran a Mexican restaurant in a <laughs> tourist town. <laughs> and uh, so I went there and I ate at every Mexican restaurant I found in Asia. I was like, oh, Mexican, go there. <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, what's it like? And he, he said, you know, the reality is you'll always be an outsider. You will never fit in. You can come right. here and marry a Vietnamese woman and right. run a business, but you will never fit in. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Happy to happy to visit, but not happy necessarily sure I want to live there. It's not the place to live. Right. But I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. I, I'm glad I was too young to be part of that war. You know? I, right. Sure. I did not. Thankfully, I missed that disaster. But um, what a cool place to go back and visit. What a cool place. Yeah, and they're very accommodating. And... People find out you're American and they're like, oh my gosh, my father fought for the Americans. And he died on the battlefield when I was in my mommy's belly. And you're like, what do you say to that? I was like, oh, sorry about that. I just gave him a big hug and said, I'm so glad to be visiting your country. And right. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So there you go, Arthur. What next? Who knows? That's great. Well, thanks, George. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.